The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of civil wars. The American dream. (laughs) Do you think a heavenly battle took place at the same time as the cross? I don't care. (laughs) It's like, hey, Eve, you're going to be in pain and basically fighting snakes your whole life. Adam, you got to work. No! Stop having ideas in real time. I'm sorry, but I just love the Bible. Welcome to the Second Rate Saints podcast. Um, I'm your host, Caleb, slash researcher. Um, there's four of us here today. Sadly, again, we are missing Stuart, as per norm, it feels. But to my left... Uh, is Joel, the producer guy, um, running the soundboard. I-, I don't know. I'm I'm here. Stuart's not. We miss him. Love you, Stuart. And to my left... Uh, I'm Colton. I am the editor and blog poster. And to my left... I'm Joshua. I'm the facilities manager and one of the researchers. Nice. To my left. You research stuff. You read stuff. I'm Caleb, by the way. Now we've gone in a full circle. But you research stuff and read stuff, Josh. (laughs) Yes, I do. Because you're a researcher. Yes. What have you read? Um, I have read a book called The Fifth Son, A New History of the Aztecs by Camila Townsend. Um, It won the 2020 winner of the Sundill History Prize. Um, which I hear is a big thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have no idea um, what that is. Anyways, um, it's by Oxford University Press, so that's big. Okay, um, so it's a history of the Aztec Empire. Um, like, we here, because we're Bible-focused, we're very oriented on the ancient Near East, Babylon, Egypt, all that stuff. And then because we're European descendants, we probably know a lot about... The rise of Europe, the Middle Ages, Rome, all that stuff, Greece, um, Britain, France, blah, blah, blah. Um, nobody cares about Spain or Portugal. Um, oh, that's oh. not true. <laughs> Spain and Portuguese, Spanish and Portuguese people do. Yes, yes. Uh, but they're not really up to much. Calm down. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, they're not, they're, they're, they're loving life. They're having a few civil wars, but... <laughs> That's true. So, so you, this is a contradictory thought, isn't it? <laughs> Love and life and having civil wars. Yeah. Um, okay, back to the book that the I American read. American Dream. Um. <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of civil wars. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to the book. Um, so basically what the book does is it gives a really cool, in about 200 pages, and then 100 pages of footnotes, um, a history of the Aztec Empire. And then it's like it's rise and then it's fall. Okay. Um, it's a super sad history. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as somebody who, as I said, does, did not know a lot about it. Like I've heard about it. I've been to Mexico a couple times on mission trips or whatever, but I didn't, I haven't known much. Um, so I'm just going to give a quick o- overview. The Aztec Empire started in the, in 1480. Like a hundred years That's pretty before late. Spain arrived. Like just the city of Tenochtitlan or like the entire empire itself? The entire empire. With no civil wars and no falling apart. Yeah. Okay. Um, the people group got there, the Mexica people, got there at 1280 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 
the people in the central so in their story their history so does this mean that the aztecs started after the vikings had already landed in north america yes that's so weird yeah it is wild so the the people group the Nuwait people uh come from this area in their place called the seven caves Okay. Which is in this mythological area called Tula, or what we call Utah. That's a very mythological area. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a bunch of people groups from that area descended down into the Mexico Valley okay. um, and uh, the coast, the Mayan coast, and the Olmec coast. Um, and in like like a funnel down from Utah, yep. like a triangle down, because when... The groups of people migrate and they get into war. If there's a place for us to go rather than fighting, you'll just move away for history. Right. Um, so they just kept going south. And they would settle at different places going south. And the one group of Noate people that settled in the Galt, the uh, Valley of Mexico yep. around an area called the Lake of Texcoco. Yep. Um a bunch of city-states kind of popped up called Eltapelts. Um, they were a group of people surrounded, surrounding a temple, a pyramid-sized temple yep. of different sizes. Um, they're not quite cities. They're not quite... Um, they're not different people. They're like... They're different f- organizations. They're different people groups, but they're all in the weight. Right. Um, but they're not all Mexica. Mesh- um Mexica is where we get the word Mexica or Mexico from. Okay. Um, the people group was called the Mexica, the people that started yep. the Aztec Empire. Um, so they come down, um, and as part of their story, they come out of their the cave, the seven caves, because one of their gods, the minor gods, sacrificed himself so that there could be a sun in this world. And this was the fifth creation event by okay. the gods. The previous right. four had failed. So this is the fifth sun. The world with the fifth sun. Right. Hence um, the name of the book. Yeah. Um, and part of their whole sacrificial system is in honor of that minor god who sacrificed himself to become the sun so that everything could live. Mm-hmm. Um, they would offer human sacrifices. Right. Um, not as a an appeal to get something, but as a because of what he did. Purely in remembrance, yeah. Not as like, uh, as there's some groups that potentially was to keep it going, right? But oh. it, it was more. It started as just a okay because he did. We should too, which is interesting. Um, I wasn't taught that. In eighth, I learned a lot about the Aztec Empire yeah. in eighth grade, and um, I did not learn that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they settled around that area in a bunch of area in a bunch of uh, city states, um, and the Mexica people were enslaved by the other Nawait people that they're from. Um, there was some interfighting. The Mexica rise out of fighting for their freedom using a celebration where you have to yeah. use weapons as part of your uh, dance costumes. Yeah. And then because they've been slaves for so long, the ruling group didn't care. And so they used real weapons. Mm. And then they, the celebration is in the people's houses. And so they just attacked everybody in their house and freed themselves. Right. Oh, um, wow. it's pretty metal. Pretty metal. It's in the Mexican <laughs> Footloose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, bit of a and, Mexican standoff. Yeah, and then they formulate a city in the lake called Tenochtitlan, yep. which is the main city. Um, that's the people. That's the city of 
the Mexica people. Then they fight the other major groups, take control. They create an, a, the strongest alliance that has occurred at around 1370, 1390. Um, and then a ruler comes around called Moctezuma I. And he creates essentially the empire. He creates an administration, a uh, a police force, a, a rule um, of law, an administration, a rule of law, a bureaucracy that controls the empire. Okay. And what he does is there's a bunch of royal families, and he there's two major royal families, and he said that the every uh, generation the king or the person who sat on the reed mat, the Tlatuani, the speaker of the people, had to come from the opposite family. And the next generation, they would come from the opposite family. Right. And then the next generation, they would come from the opposite. So it stopped the power grab. Um, and it worked. And then Cortez shows up. Cortez walks through them. The first battle they have is the worst battle the Mexica have ever experienced. They lost 220 men. Hmm. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. But they don't have many people because they're barely out of the hunter-gatherer period. So Cortez's men, Spanish have metal. The Mexica don't have metal. Cortez wins. He takes over in like a year. It's super easy. But he's getting pressure from Spain. Spain starts arriving, taking power from him. They rule the city. They take over. They demolish the city. Yep. It's a it's a harrowing fight. Smallpox shows up, kills 80% of the population. Yep. 50 years later, another version of smallpox comes up and kills 80% of the population. Mexico, by 1600, the Spanish people, the Spanish Empire, brings more African slaves to the city of Mexico than anywhere in the New World. Oh. Yeah. Um, by sixteen hundred, by 1560. Oh, okay. So, so by uh, the 1600s, that's, it has, by the year 1600, they have brought more people right. than anywhere else in the New World. But oh, by 1560, 1560, the Mexica people, from the domination to plagues and the bringing over of African slaves, they're the third biggest population. Really? Wild. The Spanish are three times the population of the Mexica people in their city in less than 80 years. And the African population is greater than the Mexica. I'm actually surprised that there's still that many people left. There was about 20,000 people okay. left in the wow. city. Wow. That's wild. Um, and then two descendants of Moctezuma record the history in about 1580. And they're the last ones to record the language and the only ones that could read it. Oh. But... Today, by 1990, in Mexico, there are a million people that speak Nawait. Really? There are more people that speak Nawait now than there were... Back in... Back in the 1560, wow. And they write poetry, and they write, like, plays, and they write stories and books in that language. Was, was there a written system before the there Spanish was. came over? Okay. So it was called Nawait. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... It was like a character-based language, and it was hard to read, and it was mostly just the priests and the royalty that could re- that could read it. Well, well, I mean, the issue with that is you can't memorize thousands of symbols. Yeah, and that was the problem. Um, when the Mech- when the Mexica people started to see one of the priests, he re- he remembers seeing Spanish and learning it, mm-hmm. and he was like, and he remembers seeing them record his words mm-hmm. in a court, and he was like, oh. I'm going to die, but my words are still going to be here. And yeah. they can read it out exactly what I said. They don't have to interpret these drawings. Mm. And he was just like, this is like, and when the, when the Spanish arrived, so easy. Why don't we and think the, of this? The, the Mexica saw the boats with sails and immediately they saw, oh, they can catch wind with cloth. Like they, they saw their demise instantly. Um, Moctezuma was telling his people, stop fighting. 
we can't win. There's a whole continent of people and less than a scouting trip is annihilating our empire. Stop fighting. You're just killing yourselves. But they wouldn't listen to him. That's a rough history. <laughs> yeah. oh. Like they were completely outnumbered. Their weapons were made of obsidian yep. and wood. Mm-hmm. And the, it was, it was devastating. But yeah. And it's, it was so sad because their king, Moctezuma, was just like, he, within like a year, he was like, no, we can't, we can't win. And it's, we should just try to assimilate. And the one group that, that allied with Cortez in the conquest, they were the ones that retained the most of their culture, Mm. the longest. So if they followed Moctezuma, it would have, it would have been a very different world. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I love it. Um, Would you say that if, if it's a great introduction into that? Yeah. world history or is it intermediary it's what it does is it so it gives you an overview of their entire history okay um there isn't much of their history um because of the they didn't write about their gods they didn't believe writing about the gods was a good thing and they wrote about their history but it was it's in a different language that almost got wiped out and it's very hard to read and cortez burned a lot of their libraries yeah which is super unfortunate so the history they do have was the two descendants of Moctezuma, like the great-grandchildren, recording it before they died. And they were like 70 when they started. So that, that's really interesting. And you, you mentioned a bit earlier, like, their creation myth kind of thing. How mm-hmm. similar or different is it from, say, Genesis 1 to 3? There is a... what's Okay, so what they do is the gods create four worlds and their failures. Mm. Um. And the gods don't hate the people. Because this, because, well, we're finally getting into what, in our creation periscope mm-hmm. and our little coverage of the creation um, accounts in the beginning of Genesis, we're covering what would be considered the quote unquote failure of a creation yeah. in Genesis 3, which is where yeah. we're just getting into that. Um, before, jo- uh, before Colton gives a uh, overview of it, however, yep. um, last episode we went through Genesis 2. Uh, And we kind of mentioned that, hey, it has a chiasm, and for chiasm with, uh, just for people who are uh, unclear or just stepping in, chiasm is like, think of an arrow point, the beginning point is that furthest back point, and the end is that, the very bottom point, and that the middle would be that very middle of the story. A sharp point. Yeah, and so the the literature kind of goes, it goes, the beginning and the end match just after the beginning and just before the end match. And then you keep going in and in and in, and then you find the middle. And that middle would be like the, the big important part of the story. And so there's there's a chiasm, and we'll, uh, I might put this actually in the, uh, or we'll put this in the uh, in the uh, description of the YouTube video if you, if you want. Um, but there's a chiasm that actually links Genesis 2 and 3 together. And so they don't just share similar themes and people and places, is it's, Actually, there's there's a key point within that chiasm, and that key point's actually in Genesis three, which is the fall, where Adam and Eve eat the of the uh, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, so yeah, before we start that, uh, Colton, can you give us just a quick overview of Genesis three one to twenty four? For sure, yeah. Uh, getting right into it, uh, stage right, the very beginning of of the book, uh, <laughs> book the chapter uh, enters the serpent. The most crafty in Hebrew, it's a a room of all the beasts of the field. The most crafty of all the beasts of the field. He dialogues with Eve, undermining her trust in God's plan and his character. 
She takes and eats of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thinking that it will make her like God, knowing good and evil, in 3 and 5. She gives some to her husband, who likewise eats of the tree. Having eaten of the tree, their eyes are opened, and in their loss of innocence become ashamed of their nakedness. So they hid their nakedness from each other with fig leaves and hid themselves from God. When God comes in in the cool of day, and Adam explains why he is hiding, the blame game starts with the serpent, then Eve, and finally Adam. Everyone points fingers, basically. I, uh, I actually wrote that in the reverse order. Because <laughs> oh. Adam, then Eve, then, then the serpent. <laughs> Other way around, then. God then curses the serpent, humiliating it, which, would, again, would, if it's Adam, then Eve, then the serpent is the curse of the serpent, then Disarming Ad, Eve, it. then Adam. Disarming. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. This, uh, God curses the serpent, humiliating it, and promises conflict between it and the seed of Eve. We'll get into that. And where they slash he will come out on top. God tells Eve that, he will, that God will increase her pain in the birth and raising of children. But the second part of verse 16 is description of the consequence of the fall. That is, the conflict will be introduced into her relationship with Adam, uh, and that he will dominate slash rule over her. Adam has the longest section of curses slash consequence, but it can be somewhat synthesized down into one, toil is introduced into the world, they have to work, and two, his mortality is confirmed, he will surely die. Afterwards, Adam names his wife Eve, which means mother of all living. And after making skin garments from them, God then sends and drives uh, him, Adam, out from the garden to work the ground lest he now eats the tree of life and life forever. So he drives him out seemingly so that he doesn't eat of the tree of life, which in this story would give him eternal life. God ensures that the couple do not return by placing the cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the sacred space, specifically to the east, which is interesting. Because mm-hmm, that becomes a pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Anyway, yeah, that's chapter three. Yeah. Now, this is surely what Adam must have been thinking. Where do we go now? <laughs> <laughs> he, I wonder if he fell to his knees, just kind of just like, yeah, you know, this, and then just for like a day, just sat there face down in the dirt, just <laughs> super awful feeling. It's like, hey, Eve, you're going to be in pain and you're going to be basically fighting snakes your whole life. Adam, you got to work. No. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get into that later. Yeah. My my interest would be that like the the conflict between Eve's yeah. descendants with the serpent, right? So immediately exiting, assuming like you know applying this let's say uh, n- story narrative thought, this like trying to just see what hey, what would these yeah. characters think afterwards, right? What would their thought be of the snake? Like, why did God allow the snake in the garden? What's up with that? Who's the snake? What's going on? Why did He tell me to do some stuff that I this didn't work out well? Who's the snake? Is the snake one of the animals that Adam had uh, had to name? Well, because well, that would mean he had dominance over it. Yeah, he does well, say it, he is the most crafty of the creatures in the garden. Yeah, that he is the beast of the field. It's also further confirmed when, um, like, it's doubled down that this the the identity of the serpent is a beast of the field, part of the created order. Um, he said right. as much explicitly in three one, and then in three. Uh, 14, it further says that surely above all the other beasts of the field, above all other livestock, you are cursed. So it associates him with the created animal order explicitly, more than any other identification that's going on in that text. cursed more than every other animal. Implying that all the other animals are 
also cursed. But he isn't called mm. Satan directly in the story. He's no. called the serpent. Satan doesn't, the name, appear until, f- like, Job, obviously, but First uh, Samuel, Second Chronicles. Yeah, in the English Bible, which comes earlier, where Second Chronicles is the last book. In the- is that a uh, Septuagint, the Greek Bible that Jesus had edition, or is that something that was in the original? No, the it's same, the, the, in Second yeah. Samuel and in Second Chronicles, there's the same story of David in the census. Right. Um, and in the first one, it says God entices David to make a census. In the Chronicles version, it says, and Satan entices, and the Satan entices really? David. Really? Yeah. It's yeah. a big thing. I actually didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that was the first instance. But Job, but depending when Job was written, yeah. um, hmm. and depending if you associate Job to be originating somewhere hmm. around Abraham, that's yeah. interesting. I feel like we could have a whole podcast just talking about Satan. Well, so we might have to keep it Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Josh wrote his whole biblical theology on it. Yeah, that's probably the reason. (laughs) (laughs) And so at some point, we will be doing an episode on it. Well, I'm sure even most people listening are like, what exactly is Satan? Genesis 3 talks a lot about this fall, and we're like, oh, yeah, but there's a lot of other stuff we have to talk to as well. And that's, that's the point that we have to point out, which Caleb pointed out already. It doesn't say Satan. It doesn't allude to Satan. just says serpent. But isn't it referred to? when they're clearly talking about Satan later on in scripture, they mm-hmm. call him a serpent or the serpent. The, uh, Particularly Revelation, Revelation, yeah. Revelation 19? Yes. Or they t- say that serpent, that ancient serpent, mm-hmm. the dragon, the Satan, mm-hmm. the devil. A, a whole Bible hermeneutic. Yeah. When if you were going to read the Bible as like, you know, mm-hmm. what else does scripture say about this story? Interpreting it as mm-hmm. a holistic way, you would go, "Oh, that is Satan," because yeah. that is explicitly stated. That's yeah. alluded to multiple times. Um, as far as Genesis mm-hmm. three goes, reading it just as Genesis three, um, yeah. it's just a serpent. And that's, well, it's not just a serpent because it talks. Sure. Well, all animals can talk. We just don't know it. I've seen Narnia. <laughs> I've seen Doctor Doolittle. Oh, I'm sorry, um, we've been a mockery yeah. of Satan. As we should. No. Um. Uh, we will have a podcast on yeah. Satan specifically, but for now. Not to detract too far, but to, to get the point, because people are probably wondering, well, there's got to be a connection. In the Old Testament alone, there's only two references that you can kind of allude to it. Where in the Ezekiel passage, it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God, in the right. Satan story. Um, potentially Satan story, maybe. Um, and then also Job, because they were f- the, the Leviathan and Satan are referred to as connected. Yep. I, I really like actually what uh, Lexham Research Commentary on Genesis mm-hmm. has to say about this. Uh, the research commentary is like a compilation of multiple authors. Yeah. I don't know which one of the contributing authors wrote this. Um, but it's uh, many scholars propose that the text clear identification with the serpent as merely one of the beasts of the field that God had made um, prevented the ancient Israelites from seeking a hidden identity for the serpent, mm-hmm. especially when they were in a world full of polytheistic and yeah. even to a certain degree um dualistic not in that not in that right. like one and one evil god and one one good god just that there are many evil gods and there are many good gods um and so it it put a limiter factor on them and it's just no yeah. god is the only spiritual being Boof. um and so it presented what was presented the story in such a way that it wouldn't entice them to think that there was a second evil god yeah when they would have yeah. gone way too far with that idea because that's every, what every other culture around them has done right and so i i Fair. really i thought that that was pretty insightful um there 
Lexime research commentaries are that's, great. That, that's interesting, though, because um, there are other spiritual beings mentioned in the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, I mean, it would have been... It, it's not like we're saying the Old Testament doesn't have any spiritual yeah. figures implied. No. Yeah. Like, it's go to the book the of Daniel. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're going to find some pretty heavy, heavy spiritual warfare type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Or even like Josh said, you could just look at parts of the Pentateuch and, like, you know, angels are referenced all the time. Not just that. In Deuteronomy, God directly tells the Israelites... And those are demons. <laughs> ...that gods they worship are demons. It's the <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know if it it could it could be a thing of uh, because this is such a primordial beginning story, and it's not wanting to equate any of those spiritual yeah. beings that have that are placed in the rest of the Pentateuch and more, get seem seemingly grow throughout yeah. the biblical text. Yeah, um, at least in their in their record, um, it doesn't want us to think that the created the original created order mm. is. Like, they're just as important in our relationship to the world and our relationship Absolutely. to God. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not really what the purpose of creation and the purpose Absolutely. of humanity is. Also, yeah. I think there's also, like you were reading from Lexham there, uh, to take away from the the all-powerful nature of God above all things, where Satan isn't, like... Mm. Yeah. Um, then what do we do, if it is just an animal, that um, her... Dinosaurs. No, her descendant... <laughs> And its descendants will have enmity, and that her descendant will mm-hmm. crush it. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I think that's. You don't just leave whole Bible hermeneutics, mm-hmm. out, right? The Bible yeah. is meant to be read yeah. as a holistic document when you're trying to discern, especially about complicated passages, mm-hmm. um, like what is going on with the serpent and why is he there. Yes. Um, and so I think when you're st- when you bring in, what does the rest of the Bible say? That is, you were Satan. You were you were the serpent, the one in the garden, yep. right? And so I think Josh and I have talked where it's like there's that thing that was in the garden was a serpent. It's clear that in the local yep. context it is, but he had either some sort of possession or well, icon <laughs> of or something. It is somehow related to the Satan of Revelation of yep. uh, Ezekiel of yeah yeah I but yes yeah, so serpent. The word Nahash. What is la- even even more typified later throughout the Bible? Mm-hmm. That adversarial role, yeah. but introducing it, introducing his role in Genesis, Genesis three. What does he do? He tempts. He doesn't fight. He doesn't cow them to his will. He do we want to read what he says? Sure. Yeah. He said to the woman, "This is Genesis three uh, two. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" Mm-hmm. And so. Obviously, at this point, he's... Uh, you put some of your own inflection on that. Yeah, dude. yeah, for sure. Okay, read it. Read it like a robot. That was a dramatized version. I like Welcome that. to my dramatized reading of the Bible. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, it, no, it's good. It emphasizes the parts you're trying to emphasize. Well, and I think that that's actually what is being intended yeah. there. But if I'm supposed to read it like a robot like Josh wants... I'm just saying. Um, he said to the woman... Dude... <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you were going to slip into like an Ewan McGregor thing there for a second. That was kind Let of me try this again. Hold it. He said to the woman, did God... <laughs> I'm sorry. I you can't do it. Here, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh. Three, two. He said to the woman, did God actually... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, that's your normal inflection. No, that's not true. You have more personality. Yes, I'm, I'm emotionless. Sorry. You have more personality. <laughs> um, 
Yes, yeah, so he, he makes her second guess what God told them. Well, and additionally, he, uh, he also, he puts something that humans do all the time. They focus on and exaggerate prohibitions. Yes. Actually, Holdcroft's commentary goes a little wild with that. Yeah. But eh, yeah. <laughs> he's got a point. Is it is it is just like, hey, did God put this massive prohibition on you? Yeah. And then in her response, she actually misquotes God. She misquotes him, and he called her bluff ahead of time because she does exaggerate it. Mm-hmm. She does. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to note up until this point, Genesis two. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the covenantal name of God is used. Mm-hmm. Yahweh Elohim. Yep. Um, the Lord, the God. S- Satan just says Elohim. Yeah. Generic God. Distant God. Unrelated, unpersonal to me, God. Yeah, right. And when we say that, we're referencing the Hebrew text behind your English translation. So yes. don't go looking for that in your Bible. And like, where does it change? Actually, you can. Oh, can you? Uh, in that the, everywhere where it says capital L-O-R-D, God. Yeah, that's Yahweh Elohim. Some mo- more modern Bibles don't do that, though. That's true. Um, but they'll still say Lord God most. Yeah. They may not do all caps. Um, where a lot of N- NIV, ESV, I don't know about the others, to be honest with you, um, they'll do Lord God. And yeah. then where it just says God, that's just Elohim. That's generic God. Yeah. Um, and so when Satan goes, does God, generic God, really tell you not to eat any of the fruit, any of the trees of the garden? And Eve corrects him quote-unquote getting her getting the mis misquoting god and uses his doesn't use the covenantal name she also says oh yeah no god did say this not covenantal personable god that i am in relationship with just generic Mm. god and so it's an indication that he is already she slipped up yeah so not only does she misquote she also starts to distance and depersonalize de remove herself from the relationship of God in her very reference to him. Well, even in an interesting way, she starts to define the world through the serpent's eyes. Can you, can you further unpack that? Like she's referring to him now the way he refers to God. Yeah. 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 So it just an interesting connection to Kings and Chronicles, whereas they did what was right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's, she's now starting to look through, See the world another's eyes right. rather than God's. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, in her response, uh, in three, three, two, uh, and the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you will die." God's prohibition doesn't talk about touching it. She shows that she is ready to exaggerate God's command just as, m- not just as much, but at the same, in that same way that Satan already does. <laughs> so, okay. this is- I've seen it emphasized in other ways where it's more, a more positive interpretation I've heard is uh, that she is, she agrees with God so much that she won't even touch it kind of idea. You can say that. I think by her already using, misquoting God, mm-hmm. misquoting Misusing the improper name, okay. following okay. after the pattern of Satan, mm-hmm. I think it indicates. Well, I think it, it indicates that she is slipping into the pattern of being tempted. Yeah. Okay. I think I think that's where that's where I would argue that it indicates that um, that it doesn't indicate um, loyalty and like zeal towards God's um, 
law because that doesn't seem to be the end goal. <laughs> Not end goal. That doesn't seem to be the end result. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, also, if if you do take the historical approach with this, they're the first people. They they don't they they haven't they don't have the uh, a list of times where people have made mistakes and seen what happens when you make mistakes like this. Like we can look back on Eve's event so that when we're tempted, we know that like, oh, we should get it correctly. Like Jesus, when he's tempted by the very same guy and Satan quotes the Bible to him. Yeah, he quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy, but he does it exactly. Yeah. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. He does it. He does it exactly. And Satan even does follow-up quotes, which is anyways, but, but Jesus is, he makes sure that he does it exactly the way it was written. Um, That's yeah. But it's because if you, because he's seen her make that mistake, the the it's this a history of people misquoting God, of slipping up when in this crucial moment when you're being tempted by the enemy. Know God's word. Yeah. yeah. Know know it. Remember it. No, oh, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah. And she's naive. She's the first person to yeah, be tempted. I mean, with there this. was no. There's, there's no, no reference. There's no scripture for her to memorize. <laughs> yes. So. But it's the word of God, nonetheless. Um, so serpent response, mm-hmm. he has, he's luring her in. Um, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not, you sh- uh, sorry, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not, God's holding so, back on he's you. He's not totally wrong. Yeah. Well, I, that's the thing, yeah. He's, he's not... Nothing's completely a lie. Technically, nothing he said was a lie there. Mm. Well, it depends what they you mean did. by surely. It depends what you mean by well, surely. that's the thing. When he says you shall not certainly... Like, you won't certainly die. It, depending on how you interpret that, it can be they, true. It's like they, they didn't don't. die immediately. There might have been a Spoilers. 95% chance yeah. they wouldn't die. Spoilers. Spoilers. Eve gives in to, to Satan. What? Yeah, I know. Oh, my Bible just well, ends at three and they win. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the, the uh the genealogy after confirms the Shirley. Yes. Yeah. Well, in, actually, entirely in in mm-hmm. Genesis one, sorry, actually four to eleven yeah. is there's this, and he died, yeah. and he died, he and he lived this long, and he died, and but died. not Enoch. Yeah. No, but it's only in the first genealogy. So each genealogy is different. The next two don't say and he died. The right. one after Noah and the one after the Tower of Babel. Oh, because each genealogy matches the story before it. It expresses the truth of the story. Yeah, it's not. I stand corrected. No. But n- outside of the genealogies, it still records the death of Noah and all those yes. people. Yeah. So yes. death is still a yeah. prominent theme. Yeah. But it's the, just but not, not listed in the genealogies. Yeah. Because okay. the, the genealogies are used as a reference to repeatedly tell you the, the nature of the story beforehand. Ah. Also, yeah. after the first genealogy, you kind of get it at that point. It's not as much as major of a theme for the next stories. But then he says you'll limit their days to 120 years is that right yeah, yeah which is it, preparation for the flood it's not saying that they'll only live 120 years mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I can see that becoming an actual debate in the next little while with transhumanism uh, transhumanism stuff Ooh, right yeah when oh. you become immortal a lot of people believe that it does mean 120 years. I, I don't know Meh. old testament apologetics uh difficult issues in the old testament and then like mm-hmm. do follow-up difficult issues in the new testament where we just cover really weird things like okay d- says adam lived for like 900 years yep. yeah did he and so and then we do a 1v3 
one person three. holds the position and the other three just berate him for an hour. <laughs> See, <laughs> what happened there is that red light shift hadn't happened oh, yet. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. That concept was in, in the universe. Hey, hey, was we too can't new. spoil that podcast. We got to go back oh, to Adam and Eve. He's right, you know. <laughs> I am not right. People can't see our sarcastic face. If you guys want to get into creation science, look up the red light theory stuff. No. And then shine it on your dog and see if you get Clifford out of it. Anyways, Answers in Genesis. Um, Answers in Genesis. So Shout out Ken Ham. Eve responds with failure. Yes. yes. And then Satan's like, no, God's petty he doesn't want you to be like him yeah and then she this is when she actually let's say bites the hook of temptation yeah it's better than that she doesn't even say anything back to to, uh the serpent she buys it she looks there and then she evaluates whether or not what this what the serpent's selling is it true what's what's so sad about that is he says you will be like god god yeah right but they were made in the likeness mm. of God. They already were. They already were. Mm-hmm. He's he's tempting her with something she already has, which oh. is interesting because that's what that's pseudo what Satan tempts Jesus with yes. things that he already has or already has yes. the right to. But anyway, that's a different thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I, no, it's, it's so cool. It's yeah. almost like there's parallels or something like that. No. Yeah. Um, Jesus, is like I could make better than this. This is not. <laughs> well, go, going over exactly what happens. How woman, uh, Eve specifically, saw what she responds with is that she, like you said, she looks at the tree. She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. This is verse 6. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She, she took some and ate it. And then she gave it to her husband as well. This interesting idea of that she, she saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye and, des- and desirable for wisdom. And then she took it. Yeah, and, and, and Josh is going to get into uh, the pattern there. But before, just before we do, I do want to mention that um, the implication that, and she just gives some to Adam. Adam's depicted as being there the whole time. Yep. And you get, late, later you get, um, it's in First Timothy, I already forgot the verse. Anyway, somewhere in First Timothy, I think it's two something, three something actually. Paul goes, for Eve was deceived, but then Adam rebels. Adam doesn't, Adam, the implication is that Adam's not deceived. Adam willfully goes along and says, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, And and that's, sometimes it's depicted that Adam, like, so there's two massive extremes here. It's that Adam either wasn't there and Satan picks on 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 eve because you know she's the weaker sex or something which some like extremists go with and and then and then adam just kind of follows along because he doesn't know what to do with his wife because she's broken this rule and he wants to anyway or you can go the exact opposite which is where i've seen some people go uh actually there's a couple articles in the priscilla papers that go this way Mm. um which is a journal article it doesn't matter um that actually it harmonizes what you were saying earlier colton where this no she's a she's championing 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 um god's law where she says and you shall not even touch it where she's she's actually a superior um defender defender of god's word in Mm. misquoting it yeah and so you have those two extremes and uh, (laughs) yeah throw both of those out in my opinion um and simply go with uh satan chose the woman Adam was there the whole time and didn't stop. Didn't and he just went along. He decided to rebel. He watched it and went, "Yeah, okay. We're deceived, bought the lie." Or not deceived. Where Eve bought the lie, Adam was just, "Okay, yeah, no. I want to do this because my my favorite fanfic of creation 
is uh, Paradise Lost by John oh. Milton. Paradise Lost, I don't know if you know anything about it or if you've read it or anything. I've read like a 70-page introduction and then went, it's, I don't have the time to read this. Yeah, it's also super hard to read. Um, yeah. When that depicts, uh, which I think is an interesting perspective as well, is that Adam fell not because he was tempted, but because he trusted in Eve. Uh, because he, he chose the love that he had for his wife over his common sense that of, of his knowledge of God. I that they were so married together that he decided to follow her into the abyss rather than don't stand back. Think. But he would have sure. been alone, and it's not good that man I think is it's alone. A, but if we're talking about interpretations of <laughs> that, give, of giving it to Adam and stuff, yeah, I think I it's think better well, than I some think, of the other ones. It's better. Yeah, it's interesting. At least. I, well, I think that that fully harmonizes with the previous, like the more extremist anti. Yeah. feminine one that i listed first and then you have the very very pro-feminine one it's the idea that he didn't want her to be alone and yeah. and satan picked on the picked on the quote-unquote weaker sex and stuff like that whatever right either one of those in my opinion fails to hold up to what's going on in the biblical well, text well can i propose an answer yes um maybe it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter why you disobey god you disobeyed god and that's the point yes <laughs> but it does give every pastor the way to get up behind the pulp and say well last time women decided where to eat <laughs> well, well, no, but, no but here's the thing and that's god god's curse on adam is because you listen to your wife we're we're gonna get but, there yeah no no, no but to that point which is he's just saying because you sinned but yeah. anyways the um, yeah. Yep. Josh. Yeah. Colton mentioned that there's this like saw, saw that it was desirable, desired it, took it. Yeah. That's a pattern throughout the Bible, isn't it? That whole yeah. like just that phraseology. Yeah. Um, can you mind running through a couple examples or just explain it then? Give Absolutely. A couple yeah. Examples. So there is a, so what Hebrew authors will do is they will use key words and key phrases um, to give you a clue about the how to see a story or what's going to happen. Yep. Um, they'll also sometimes do this where they'll give you three stories. And then the fourth one has got the key in it to interpret the previous three. Luke does this a bunch. Anyways, um, there is a literary pattern here where you see, uh, uh, what was it? So she saw that it was good. The fruit, mm -hmm. it was desirable, good for wisdom. Uh, she took it. Uh, and then, Adam, you listened to the voice of your wife. Mm -hmm. um, you see that phrasing, God arise in the cool of the day. These are, these are key uh, phrases you need to remember when you read on to other stories where people sin. Yep. Um, and so there's this, this is the archetype, and there's a, a bunch of types that occur. They don't have all of the phrases. Not all the stories have all of the phrases, mm -hmm. but they have versions of this. Um, the first one, for example, is Abraham and Hagar. Um, Abraham listens to the voice of Sarah and mm -hmm. takes Hagar and saw that she had conceived a child and it was good. Um, then Abraham and the three men it does a twist. It uses the phrases, but does it as an opposite. Um, the men come in the heat of the day, who he is the Lord. He saw the Lord and found favor in his eye. Uh, saw that the calf was desirable and good, or tender and good. They're yep. synonyms. Um, and took it. But instead of eating it, he gives it to the Lord. Mm -hmm. He does the, he, 
he gives what is good and desirable back to God right. rather than taking it for himself. As a parallel to this. Yeah. Or a, yeah. Opposite to this. Yeah. Um, Joshua 7 with the sin of Achan. Yep. Uh, Achan, I saw with. the beautiful cloak of Shinar. Mm-hmm. I desired it. I took it. King Saul, the Israelites see King Saul. They yep. desire him to be their king. They take him from the cloth and raise him up. And they say, this is good. Let, let him be king. Um, and then you have uh, David and Bathsheba. From his tower, he sees her. Uh, he sees that she is good. And he takes her. And you see this pattern over and over again. And then Jesus does this interesting thing. Taste and see that I am good. Mm-hmm. Right? Take it. You're, you're saying he might be the tree of life or something like that? Or that he takes Satan's ploy. Yeah. Hey, the people like eating things off trees. I'm going to tempt people with... Using their temptation <laughs> for good? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, that's a, mm. that's a funny thing. But he uses that same... There's that same pattern throughout scripture. They see that it is good. Jesus even presents it to them. Hey, see that I'm... This this food is good mm-hmm. to eat. Um, take it. Anyone who listens to my voice are my sheep. Th- this pattern of yeah. depicting... Oh, what, what does sin look like? Well, yeah. here's what sin looks like. It's looking... Wanting, yeah. taking. Yeah. And so when you take an idea like this and you continuously reference the last time it happened, yeah. that's creating a type, right? Yes. Yeah. Or I guess an archetype that continues into a typology. Yeah. yeah. So when we use the term typology, that's specifically what we're talking yeah. about. And that's actually a great example of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, even to the point where it's bookended with old creation and now new creation in Christ, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, and you see the... Um, uh, you hesitated me to bring this up, but in Genesis 2.9, God creates the, the plants of the earth and brings them out, and he makes them pleasant to the sight and good to eat. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's the, the the pattern is, elements of the pattern are being set up. Oh, sure. Okay. Like, the, the Genesis 1, you made a point that it's not the same creation story, so you can't make that argument. Um, but if the pattern is across multiple authors, then maybe. Sure. Yeah. Um, God repeatedly in Genesis 1 says he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. It's a really interesting and but what and like you can see like when the pattern is messed with, you can see oh something different's happening like with the Abraham and the three men. Mm-hmm. Um he gives it to the Lord. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Don't take things for yourself. Yeah. Well, don't see it good necessarily even in your own eyes. Yeah. Just kind of part of it. He saw that it was good. It was favorable. But he gave it to the Lord. You also have the first John here. Yeah, first John two sixteen. Um, yeah. which you can see this pattern of thinking just not just flowing in narrative where things happen, but it also just yeah. affects the way that they think about these things. So you have like in first John, um, Eve's train of thought kind of parallels with what he's talking about there. Yeah. Um so um, the cravings of sinful man, good for food, you know, that like that. It's it's a similar the similar concept of the craving, yep. right? Um, the lust for the eyes of pleasure, um, obviously the whole pleasing to the eye thing, yep. yeah. And the boasting, and the boasting of what he has done, um, desirable to gain wisdom, um, and so you just see you just see this, you see a pattern within Christian thought that that uh, isn't just in when it talks about narratives where this thing happens happens again but that that pattern in the story begins to take shape and this is how we're supposed to articulate sinful being wait sorry 
Josh just had an idea in real time. I know. Jesus says, if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. And if your hands cause you to sin, gouge it out. Remove the things that allow you to see and take. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I want to talk about that more There's later. There's some kind of implication to that. And I'm, <laughs> I'm writing it down because I'm like, I'm going to revisit this. But quickly, I, this other thing got me onto that, which was when you feel yourself, quick application here for temptation, when you see yourself looking at something and I desiring it, run. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of there. Well, do later in the story, you have the uh, example of someone who did do the right thing, and that's mm-hmm. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joseph was seduced by uh, whatever Pontifer's wife and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar, that's it, yeah. Um, It's important to note that this this section here where they actually take of the fruit Mm -hmm. and eat, that is the center of the chiasm. Yeah. It's the point of the story. It's the most important part of the of the second of the Enoch creation account is the failure to maintain God's command. And then we're gonna The one command. Yeah. And then it's gonna show all of the side effects to that. Um, first of which is it's interesting that they, they lose their innocence. Their eyes are open. They see. A quick, actually, just before we get there. Yeah. Is it the composition, Josh, is it the composition of the fruit, this magical fruit oh that gosh. opens their eyes? Is it magic fruit that gives them spiritual awareness? Or is it the way the fruit functioned? You mean, does the fruit actually give you sight to what is good and e- knowledge of what is good and evil? Yeah. Or is the fruit... Is it the rebellion against God that causes the blindness? Or is it the or the opening of the eyes? Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's the, the breaking of the command. Just like the... Um, and this can be open up a whole other can of worms. Um, it's... Oh. Symbols. Yeah, never mind. I can't go anywhere with okay. that. I'm, um, I'm going yeah, to no, read I, a little bit what I... Read, wrote on it okay and you can tell me if i'm wrong yeah okay okay um the vast majority of biblical scholars and pastors um hold that the significance of the fruit uh from the tree of the knowledge of good and mm-hmm. evil comes from its function not its composition uh, by function and not composition it is meant that the prohibition against the fruit itself is what gives it its quote-unquote effect and not that the fruit has some kind of magical eye-opening experiences it's just when humanity breaks yeah, the law. When they, yeah, um, and by law, I don't mean Old Testament. I mean the one rule that they had. Yeah, they become. Oh, I have become a quote unquote. Uh, this word is going to be introduced later. Transgressor. Yeah, I have now seen that there is good righteousness that I am supposed to uphold, mm-hmm. and I didn't. Yeah, and so that it's it's not the fruit itself that's this magical composition. Most authors go this way. Most scholars, for the longest time, have gone this way. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's it's the deciding what yourself what is good and evil and not leaving that up to God. Yep. Now the question is, you were going to go somewhere. I'm going to wait for my question. Okay. Colton. Uh, just quickly, um, I think there's many literary reasons to say why it's not the composition. Again, we've talked before about the function of the text meaning more than the material composition of things just naturally in this kind of history and this kind of writing. I think, again, final nail in the coffin is the idea that there is no mention of the animals being kept from the tree or anything like that. If it was composition, if an animal ate it, they would get any sentience, possibly. Interesting thing. I've never Maybe thought about that. Maybe that's what the no, snake was talking. We don't know. <laughs> oh, he already ate of it. He already ate the tree. <laughs> well, I, I think that if it were a composition, there would be more around it being like... 
special itself. Sure. And he didn't want to be alone. Do you think there are still (laughs) fruit trees that are the same as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Apples. I have no apples. Nice. I have a theory about this. It's durian. That's why it tastes like trash. Hot take. I agree. Because it tastes like hot trash. Yeah, super not native to the ancient Near East, but... uh, (laughs) Who cares? They were exiled east. Come on. Yeah. Across the Pacific and then to the New World and then the Atlantic. Was like in Southeast Asia. (laughs) Awesome. Hot take, guys. That's where God put it after he was done with it. He just threw it in Southeast Asia. I was going to say, yeah, we can say it's not composition, but then there is this whole thing about the tree of life. Well, I was going to get there. Yeah. Because yeah, exactly. why would we suppose that the tree of life also isn't supposed to have a function? When it's at the, it's at the end of chapter three. Yeah. That well, God it's introduced keeps earlier. It. He guards it. Well, yeah. yeah but but yeah. when norm- normally that's implied that it has, normally it's taken that that, ha- that fruit has magical yeah, implications. It's the fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote. Whereas specifically, I, I think I think you could. It deserves more study than I'm about to give it. Gives you the powers of Tolkien's elves. <laughs> yeah, it's lamnus bread. Um, <laughs> no, is it's is it's the tree of life is normally given a function uh, rather than a magical property throughout the majority of the rest of the biblical text. Josh just looked at me like a sarcastic, no way. Now, what's the difference between a function and a magical property? <laughs> magical property would be the thing that it does is built up in its composition. It actually, the material that makes it up or whatever, you know, the apple has the spell on it that kills the woman, whatever, from Snow White. But function <laughs> is more about how that thing works in relate in the in a yeah. symbolically well well not just symbolically it works in relationship in a context of relationship or in a framework mm-hmm. of of legality or it, it functions within the system yeah. um in the same way that um i use the word to i hope i'm going in the right place with this um in the same way that sacrificing a calf for a righteous for a um sin sacrifice the calf itself has no property which forgives the sin, but it's the act of the sacrifice. It's the, the obedience to what the sacrifice laid down by God in his law does. Yeah, it's the function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess we had that discussion now, which is fine. So the consequences start coming. Eyes open. We're naked. Loss of innocence, right? And it's, it's interesting that they, they, they create, uh, out of fig leaves, they create uh, garments for themselves. There is, there's some like Hebrew wordplay there in that like, oh, like the, like the serpent, they were seeking to be shrewd or wise. And instead they found out they're nude. And there's wordplay with that, which actually works in English a little bit too. And it's weird. Uh, additionally, there's also some like people go with Hebrew where it's like, oh, but the garments they made are like insufficient. They yeah. merely hide. They don't actually clothe, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to come later at the end of the end of the chapter where God actually clothes them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Consequences start mountain. Yep. And then, uh, you know, God shows up in the cool of the day. Yes. Um, and so in chapter, well, chapter, chapter three, verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man was, and the man and his wife hid themselves, uh, in the, from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, the Lord God, the trees of the garden. And so it's interesting that they hide each other from, they hide them, their nakedness from each other and they hide themselves from God. 
So sin has caused a break in relationship between each other mm-hmm. to a degree and most definitely between God. Mm-hmm. The Lord God, uh, but then the Lord God called out for the man and said, where are you? Which um, one of our previous uh, people mm-hmm. from, from our uh, school um, noted that it's very interesting that depending on how you read, where are you? Just the inflection that you picture yeah. that with reveals a lot about what you think about God. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it a <laughs> is it a Blink One Eighty Two song? Yeah. <laughs> ah. Where are you? Is it accusatory? Is it longing? Is it is it where are you, yeah. or is it where are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that also get the the next phrase when Adam and Eve respond. What they say? Uh, it's. Uh, I heard the sound of you walking and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God's next response. Who told you that you were naked? The who gets me. Because it's just like, like the whole idea of people, it's like, oh, he's not asking a question because he like, he wants to know. Like he knows, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's, but immediately he responds with, who told you you were naked? Not, why do you think you're naked? Yeah. What do you mean naked? Well, who told you? There's two questions. There's a two, there's two questions. There's one of them, which is who told you you were naked, indicating the serpent. <laughs> yeah. But then the second question: Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Which yeah. is for the which is for Adam and Eve. Yeah. But the first question, I'm like you. Yeah. I'm not convinced that's for Adam and Eve. <laughs> no. That's a. Oh, who's the guy? Yeah. Yeah. And it's as I'm going to take his legs. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny because when you say that, never mind, unrelated. I'm going to get back to the topic. Um, uh, it's it's as if God is looking at them and going, who told you? And then just slowly his head turns into the direction of Satan, like also hiding. <laughs> yeah, do you think Satan was hiding at this point too? Probably. Or sorry, serpent. Yeah. Serpent. We should get back to that. Serpent. Serpent. Um, Snack. I think it's also God gives the opportunity for them to to come out and be like, hey, I I messed this up real bad. It doesn't happen. Blame game starts. Yep. Adam's like, the woman you gave me uh, gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then then Eve is like, well, um, the serpent deceived me, and he told me that it is blah, 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 and he, he, he deceived me. It's not my fault. And then the serpent's like, ah, hmm. He shrugged his, his shoulders for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> and then God doesn't wait for the serpent to respond. In verse 13, uh, then the Lord God uh, said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, uh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. No waiting for the res- response of the serpent. Immediately into the curses. <laughs> yep. Um... And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Snakes don't eat dust. Unless he's the dragon, in which he eats the dead of humanity. Well, because he Which says- we're getting the... Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a too good of an answer. I was trying yeah. to derail. Well, the the other response that they give that that more literal scholars for this would say because he has no f- feet, yep, and he's crawling on the ground. Oh, like, it's a humiliation. The dust is right there. Yep. Yeah, it's um, it's a humiliation. Yes, yeah. but it's definitely he just told the man that he would be dust. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's coming. And then, yeah. Yeah. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's Jesus. If we haven't alluded to it enough, it's, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. Yeah, uh, if you trace the lineage, uh, Jesus is... <laughs> Is part of Eve's line. And if you watch, hold on, like I mean, guys, we haven't even talked about serpent seed. No, 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 but if you watch Passion of the Christ when he's praying in Gethsemane, Satan pulls out a snake and throws it at him, and then when Jesus is done the prayer, he stomps on the snake's head. Okay, you can't tell me that's not kind of (laughs) cool. No, it is, but it's just like. Or is it too on the nose for you? Yeah, it's a little little on the nose. Yeah. Is that implying that's one of his kids? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just like, it's just like applying that like Jesus is the one that stomps on his head. But it's just like, no, he doesn't literally do it. You don't know that. No, he's about to. He might have. No, he's about to stomp on him in the heavenly battle. (laughs) And then on the cross. Because the biting of the heel and the stomping on the head becomes the same thing. Do you think that heavenly battle took place at the same time as the cross? I don't care. We'll cross the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, in Revelation, doesn't it like pretty explicitly say that he will put Satan beneath him? Kind of idea in the final, the dragon beneath him. Yeah, but he, he made an illusion that there was a there's a heavenly battle at the cross. Oh, well, no, no, I just said that he's going to stomp okay. him. Okay, okay, cool. If you're gonna have a heavenly battle. Not a bad time to do it. <laughs> well, no, because anyway, I I enjoy your comments, Josh. No, 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 it's fair. No, 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 but to, to, to fix my statement when I said that like the cross is the point, because at the point in which Satan, through Judas getting him killed or through the people killing Jesus, mm-hmm. biting his heel, yep. mm-hmm. that's the same point in which Satan is rendered powerless. It's almost like well, John was familiar yeah. with it's, this It's idea. also interesting yeah. that you can only stomp on the head of a snake by using your foot, your heel. Yeah. And so it's the... The method by which the Satan or the the serpent is crushed is the method by which Keep the heel you. is damaged. Yeah, yeah. And so, the what is the method of which Satan is defeated? The cross. The method by which Christ is crucified. And it's just like, oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Death. Wow. Wow. Ooh. Death. Um, <laughs> death for both. Um, second curse on the woman. It's actually a smaller section. Yep. Um, Three sixteen. To the woman, uh, I will surely multiply uh, your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Lots of scholars actually put for put the idea that it's not just childbirth in that, no. but it's just the rearing of children. Yeah, yeah. He made children more annoying. No, 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 no. It's the look how um, the if there's enmity between sorry the struggle between man and woman, right? It's the 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 creating of children and the raising of children that men and women are brought together because they have to make them. But it's also, that's where the clashes happen between the sexes. Like that's, that's where all the, the arguments and the, the, the fighting and the, the arguments in society about reproduction rights and mm-hmm. um, like sex in culture mm. is all about the bringing up of children and the raising of children. And it's that it's, Okay. Like all I don't of, think all of it. I've, but never, I, I've yeah. never heard that argument before. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it's just like that's why there's so many problems is because of this right here. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Then we then we get into the second portion mm-hmm. of sixteen. Uh, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And the word rule there is actually the exact same as what God commands Eve, not Eve, um, Adam, that he will have rule or dominion over the animals. Um, that is not a 
He's telling Adam that he's better. No, that's not what's <laughs> happening. Hold on. Actually, and this is this is further alluded to that immediately after this, um, Adam names his wife. Mm-hmm. And it's this, oh, oh, it happened. Adam positioned himself above Eve, not as a helpmate, mm-hmm. which was the clear teaching of the whole naming of the animals. And then goes, right, but your helpmate isn't part of the animals by which you yep. have dominion over. That's the the whole point of that. Not named. Yeah, and then immediately after the fall, Adam names her and he goes, "Oh, yeah. you are fulfillment of the curse." Yeah, yeah, we've already lost the point of something. We've already lost a major piece in Genesis two. Yeah. That is the the cohab the co- the equal cohabitation, yeah. and it's this. Oh, it's already messing with the the relationship. Now that's not a description of the way the things morally ought to work that's the description of oh the fall is affecting everything yeah. what is it descriptive rather than prescriptive is that yeah. what yeah. the idea is yeah. yeah so it's not that god is saying this is has to be the relationship between yeah. the sexes it's just hey that that's how it is now you messed it up because you're going to be messed up for a while yeah. Yeah. if you now, touch the frying pan you get burned now is god actively making that way not approving of it but actively making that well, way? or is it just something that it's because the curses from the other things her, are a result of their sin directly, but are caused by God. The first part of sixteen, the I will greatly, I will surely inc- multiply your pain in childbirth, mm-hmm. or child, childbearing. I will multiply your, I will increase your pain in child in bringing forth children. That is a curse. That is, I will do this. Yep. But the the following is a description. The, it's your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So I think one is a curse and the other is a description of the one is a one is a judgment or like a um, yeah, I guess curse um, and the other is a description of this is what sin brings mm-hmm. I, I think that's the way I've gone with it okay yeah then we get Adams which is a larger chunk but in with Adam is also kind of this and so the ground is cursed too so hey yeah. it was a neutral party but too bad you were the head of of creation and with when you get corrupted everything else you're still in charge of it, but it's going to be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And he doesn't. They worked before, but now they work and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to bring up a little bit earlier is that both or a couple of the curses here don't take away from the commands. God gives mm-hmm. Adam and Eve three commands when they're created. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply, two, uh, two of which are positive. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the, the animals and the earth. And fill um, the earth, which is, the earth. is tied in with being fruitful and multiply. But yeah. yeah. And, and then, yeah, dominion. Uh, and then the third thing being do not eat of this tree. Uh, the, the first two in these curses are kind of corrupted. That They're made difficult. They're made difficult, yeah. exactly. They're, they don't have the same ease as they did before. It's not taken away from them. Like uh, God doesn't say, okay, now you can't have children. You, are, like, you're, you will all die now right now no continuing kind of thing um it's just it's going to be very difficult Mm. uh with the dominion over the earth is that the earth will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll try to eat but it'll be very difficult Uh, this again this complicating of the two commands that god gave them that they will not have to work hard to accomplish have we read adam's curse no um do you want me to read it you can read it i'll I'll read it. it um Verse 17 to 19. And, at, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Uh, By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, and for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I want to bring up something real quick. God quotes himself. Mm -hmm. So he says, as I commanded you, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. As if he's pointing out the fact that they misquoted him. Like, it's important that you get my words right. This is what I said. Not what she said. (laughs) Because he immediately says, because you listen to the voice of your wife. Yeah. And she was wrong. But not because she's a woman, just because she was wrong. Yeah, I don't think it's right to champion really anyone in this scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> bad. Well, because you get the extremes that are like, ah, no, Adam was fine. And then you get, yeah. the, you know, more feminist theology. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Eve was actually paying more attention to what God said. So, yeah. No, it's um, all around bad. Even, even in actually verse 20 where Adam um, names Eve, and that's a bad thing. It's still what he names her is interesting. It's all typified by death. Everything's typified by death. It's like, oh, the world, reality itself is going bad. And then it's, ah, but you're Eve, mother of all that is living. You're the hope for the bruising of the serpent. And so it's not, I don't know, verse, verse 20 introduces that weird complex thing of this is a bad thing, but it's, there is, there is a, there's a weird, not silver lining, but a, there's a, a hinting of something more. Um, Josh just had an idea again in real time. I know. Um, Eve, the mother of all that is living, and then Jesus is the firstborn of the... Among the dead? Yeah, yeah. But like... Interesting. Yeah. Um, but like, anyways, it's just interesting that Jesus is... They don't know that, but Jesus is the one that is the, the defeater of the serpent, yeah. right? And through him, everybody lives, and she's the mother of all the living. living. Yeah. Yeah. There's. By the way, the Bible likes to reference itself. Yeah, it's the best part. Um, there's a book called The Road. I've brought it up by Where myself. are you going? <laughs> um, the book ends without hope. Uh, it's a father and a son. They're just called Papa and Boy. And it's just them walking through the apocalypse. I'm not going to spoil the end. It doesn't end great. And then there's no no, no hope. There's no like, oh, maybe he, maybe this happens and they're fine. No, nothing. It's the, the world's dead. There's no fixing it. There's no solution. There's no safe haven. There's no yeah. good. That story's super depressing and sucks. Actually, so would all the previous creation accounts according to the Aztecs. Yes. Everything just boof. Yeah. But, like you were saying, there's a silver lining. There's as if there's, like, it's not done. And I think that's that's important I would to also, point out. Yeah, I would even also argue that when we talk about the fall and the curse, and we are, and I'm sure we'll get into this more and possibly in different podcasts, is the problem of pain. Why did God allow creation to exist and continue if it's now evil kind of thing? And there is this connection, I think, of hope in the future of humanity that they shall surely die. God said that, and he wasn't lying. They, they do die in two ways. They die, arguably, spiritually, but die in the, the life they had and their, the true life, the good life. Well, we get, we get into exactly... Physically die later. Yeah, we get into their death, actually, at the end of three. Mm-hmm. Um, just before that, one of the interesting notes is God just God clothes them. And it's lots of people don't like reading into sacrificial system, especially like stuff like penal substitution, where an animal had to die to make a skin. I understand and sympathize with that, but the pattern is just so big. It's just so cool. Also in Revelation, God clothes us with his righteousness. Yeah. 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 So anyway, little, little seed of uh, Mm -hmm. 
typology there that's going to grow into a main central theme. Um, oh, watch our Atonement podcast. I'm, Stop having ideas in real time. I'm sorry, but I just love the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> um, Continue. But as to Colton's point, um, there's the spiritual death occurs and so that's so yeah all of that reality itself is starting to break down all that kind of stuff there's curses things aren't right there's relationships are damaged between human to human to from god to human and even earth to to human as well um but then you have in verse 22 then the lord god said behold man has become like one of us knowing good and evil lest he now reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever he quotes the serpent. He does. I don't know mm. if it's quoting the serpent. I, I, interesting. I don't think that's what I, that's supposed to mean. I think alluding to works. <laughs> like I don't know. It's I, weird there. Well, quoting doesn't mean he's honoring him. He also doesn't cast him out of the garden. Yeah, it's a weird yeah. little thing. Yeah. Um, therefore, the Lord God uh, <laughs> sent him out from the garden uh, to go work the ground which he was taken, which is what his purpose was to keep into to till the garden but now he's doing it outside of the of the of the garden so, sorry may i interrupt for one second uh isn't the fact that when he says that he shall crawl the land crawl the earth and eat the dust the idea of kicking him out of the garden they no longer lives in paradise but now has to live in the dretches of the rest of the world maybe it alludes to that but it doesn't explicitly it doesn't stay. explicitly yeah. yeah that's true um he drove out man to the east of the garden which we've mentioned before he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword uh that turned every which way to guard the tree of life and so it's well mortality is assured boom um you will die and you're cut off from the source of life go work go toil go live in this um go fulfill your purpose still the purposes that actually colton talked about go fulfill your purpose but now you're in a corrupted world because of your moral shortcoming and what's interesting there is if we take that temple analogy um there's a couple things is he cast him out from the garden of eden but not eden well yeah it's also interesting well, it depends that depends if eden's the land or if it's the garden well because it's it's the garden in eden and then the earth that's the three circles um and if we take the temple analogy the it's the most holy place they can't enter. Except yeah, for the it, in the temple analogy, it makes sense. But is it explicit mm -hmm. that Eden is not the garden, it is the place? Yeah, because he makes the garden in Eden. Yeah, no, and it's and even the, the whole cosmic temple stuff and then the actual temple being a restoration of that. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually, it's, it's really interesting. I was reading, uh, I don't remember what commentary it was. Adam and Eve aren't really picked up again in the Old Testament. They are here and there. But temple stuff is huge, obviously. Um, and temple uh, analogies to Eden, not to Adam and Eve, par se, with the priests or some stuff, but a little bit. Um, and the fall isn't super mentioned, except in like literary in functions. And yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're not explicitly stated. It's way more so in the later end of the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Josh wants to interrupt me to say something smart. Uh, there's one allusion uh, to Adam and Eve with Abraham and Sarah, where they're buried. The cave in Hebrew is called the the cave of the naked duo. Interesting. Yeah, because they they die in a meadow of trees. Yeah, but oh. there's but there's a there's yeah. a pattern of people, especially especially in Genesis, where it's like, hey, this is is this a restoration of the Adam and Eve? Are they in good standing before God again? And no, 
And that happens multiple times throughout there. But we, as Colton pointed out again, we have the seeds of hope yep. in there. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to when we take this more on an apologetic standpoint. I was just about to say that. There's a lot of implications and things that we could talk about, but we would go on for seven hours. Yeah. We could talk about the sin of man. Was Adam and Eve a real... Adam and, were they a real person or were they real people? Were they a real person? You yeah. know, where they were together. Did he rip one person in half, like the side rib thing? How does God put up with evil? How does God curse things? Stuff yeah. like that. The implications of such. Yeah. Um, this actually wraps up our little series on creation. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for staying along and all that kind of stuff. I really appreciate it. We've been looking at it more as a literary work, less as like a whole Bible implication or as an apologetic work. Yeah. Although clearly apologetics did come in, especially in the in the earlier yeah. episodes. But yeah, send us a comment, a like, um, send us an email. We've had a couple of those. Yeah, love it. Engage. Um, yeah. Hopefully you'll be with us next week. Jo- uh, not Josh, Joel. What do you, you keep going towards your microphone. What do you want to say? Oh, um, you know, check us out on our socials, you know. We're getting a bit more, uh, we're trying to build up kind of our social media presence. We want to have a bit of a back catalog before we start inviting everyone on, but we're getting to the point where we want to really get this thing started. So mm-hmm. if you guys are ready to join the conversation with us at Second Rate Saints, join the Second Rate Sainthood. <laughs> you know, no. yeah. do that. Share it with your friends. Send us an email. Send us a comment, you know. And Joel's very funny, and I expect some very <laughs> funny stuff on uh, on Instagram. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I feel like I'm riding the line between uh, you know heretical and funny, but we'll see. What that's I that's why you're a second rate. That's uh, yeah, that is the second rate part of it. Dash of blasphemy. We're gonna try just a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna try and have a you know uh, a digestible amount. <laughs> no, that's horrible. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. If you've listened this far, appreciate it. Uh, see you next week. 